Welcome to Any Given Monday. I'm Hayden Nadoni and joining me as always, Duncan Song. Duncan, how you doing, mate? I'm doing good, thanks, Nads. It's a huge show. I'm really excited. We're building off of the free agency preview that we started last week with the offensive side of the ball. Tonight, we've got the defensive guys. We've got franchise tag reviews. We've got lots to get through, mate. I'm really looking forward to it. So why don't we dive straight in? Let's get into the social media stuff to start with. So what have you got in terms of something you loved this week? So Tom Pelissero of USA Today, he reported earlier in the week that the NFL Competition Committee is revisiting the celebration rules regarding touchdowns, and they're potentially revisiting them with the intention of giving leniency. So we're seeing so many so many touchdowns these days, like Odell Beckham Jr., he can be quite flamboyant in the way he goes about things, and that's what we want to see in the league. We like to see these fancy celebrations. We like to see them... Um, go with the ball and dunk it like they would um, in basketball, except they're doing it on the field goal um, yeah. field goal flag. So we want to see them do these kind of kind of fancy fancy acts to make it a more viewable and more exciting thing to watch. And we just see them get flagged 15-yard penalties. It's ridiculous. So examples of why that they needed to introduce such a flag was when we saw like Randy Moss and he... He infamously mooned the yeah, Green Bay fans. The moon. Yeah, it wasn't a good look. And then you had T.O. and he's going to the star in Dallas and he was disrespecting that. And it, it got a little bit over the top. And we, we saw Ch- um, Chad Okosinko. He was doing a few, few ridiculous stuff. So it did get over the top at one point. But what has happened now is the rule's been taken out of context and the NFL has quite literally, it's become not the NFL in terms of National Football League, but it's become the No Fun League. So last year we saw Zeke, he jumped into the Salvation Army barrel and he got a 15-yard penalty for that, which is ridiculous. The Salvation Army was was sponsoring the NFL that week and the NFL was saying, look, donate to the Salvos. We're doing a big salvos rush. We want to get as much money as we can. And then he gets penalized for adding exposure to the to the very thing that the NFL was sponsoring. It was just flat out ridiculous. So if we can um, take away that leniency and just add a little bit back, it's going to be so much better for the league. Of course. As a fan, you love to see you guys celebrate. You love to see them have some fun. I still love the, the clip of, um, I think it's Ocho Cinco, but it could have been T.O. playing golf with the pylon. Um, yes. <laughs> or the, you know, giving CPR to the ball after scoring a touchdown, stuff like that. It just makes it more fun for the viewer. So, I mean, I never really understood why stuff like that gets penalized. Obviously, there's a line, as you say, with, with Randy Moss or just outright taunting and stuff like that. And, and I think we want to try and cut that out. But let's have a bit of fun. Let's make it enjoyable for the fans to watch. Exactly. At the end of the day, it's not hurting anyone. No, not at all. All right. You know- so let's move on then to your hate. Alrighty, so the combine, it's combine week in the NFL, Isn't it? and what's what happens generally is that you get an over-exaggeration of just meaningless numbers. Now, it's to a degree, everything's to a degree, so for instance, you've got your running times, and they're not done in pads, and the wonderlick questions, they're not related to one's ability to digest a playbook, but you're going to hear a lot about these fancy numbers this week. 
And what happens is that these numbers, much like when free agents are cut, they're blow, it's blown out of proportion. So, for instance, with the 40 time, the term, it's often given as football speed. And especially as a receiver, for instance, if you're not hitting 4.4 for a 40-yard dash, you, you almost like the idea of being like fast, you, that's gone. You're, not, you're no longer a vertical threat. You're, you're that possession receiver. Now, once you hit 4.5, you're completely gone from the speed. And then once you hit 4.6 as a receiver, the, the general consensus is that you're not even um, speed worthy of being in the league. And they put just a red flag, media analysts write you off completely. Now, according to Bill Walsh, the legendary 49ers coach, Jerry Rice ran a 4.5940 time. So it kind of shows that the numbers themselves, like, they're not running them in pads. It's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. And bringing me to my hate, the way in which these sort of numbers get blown out of proportion, um, you see a lot of media people blowing them out of proportion because uh, they like to push their own agenda or they're pushing someone else's agenda. And it's just flat out ridiculous. And what we can see is that through these agendas, we can see players' stocks, they can rise or they can fall. Sometimes you see players like, um, Bruce Campbell um, back in 2010 he was protected to be a top 10 pick he, he eventually went into the fourth round because the media analysts completely got it wrong they all said oh this guy's a workout warrior he is he looks great coming off a bus and then you go to his football tape tape and the scouts had it right and they drafted him in the fourth round and he lasted a few years in the league and then he was poof he's been out for the last few so I'm going to bring up two tweets from Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt was an executive front office guy in Dallas for many years. He's won many Super Bowls. He now commentates a little bit for NFL Network. He does a little bit of Sirius XFM radio. He's all over the place. And he did two tweets back in 2014 regarding the hand size of quarterbacks. So regarding Jimmy Garoppolo, he tweeted, and I quote, Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, nine and a quarter, over the threshold, he'll be fine. Now, just 13 minutes later, he tweets, Bridgewater, nine and a quarter hands, smaller than I thought, many thought. He played with two gloves at Louisville. Read between the lines, I'll let you figure it out for yourselves, lads. Mm. Uh, it's fair enough. There, As you say, there's a lot of... Uh over-exaggeration and um, reading too much into things like 40 times, hand size, all the rest of it. They are useful stats, though, to, to get an idea of a player's athleticism, but you're right, they, they do go too far, and, and particularly analysts make too much out of some of that stuff as well. But it is interesting to see, obviously, the combine, as you say, it's happening at the moment, uh, and we'll be touching on that a little bit more in our next episode. Uh, but for today, we've got lots to get through, Nad. So we've, we've finished with the social media. Now let's move on to the franchise tag review. So earlier in the week was the deadline by which teams can place the franchise tag on one player per team. And we've received a few players this year. They've received the exclusive tag, which means that they can't negotiate with any other team before signing that deal. So Kirk Cousins is the first one who got that tag. So let's talk a bit about him, Dunk. What do you reckon about this Redskins putting the tag on Kirk Cousins? Well, it's an interesting one for me because, you know, he's kind of, he showed patches of 
you know, this might be our franchise quarterback. And then he shows patches of why is he even on our roster. And so for me, putting the tag on him, it's it's an indication that the the management in the Redskins, they're not actually sure. They're still not settled on whether or not this is their guy, whether or not he's going to be their franchise guy going forward. Because if they were sure, they'd just sign him to a proper contract. They wouldn't even bother with the tag, right? So the fact that they've tagged him, that tells me that, you know, they're unsure about what his future is. Um, what does that mean for the rest of the league is is what I start asking because Cousins is one of the names that was touted as potentially being traded out to some of the teams that do need a quarterback. So the fact that he's been now tagged, I, I guess there's knock-on effects for those teams as well. Yeah, we're going to see quite a bit of a flow-on effect, not only in teams that need a quarterback, but teams that are looking to re-sign a quarterback. So Cousins on the exclusive tag is receiving $24 million this year, which is just a ridiculous a number for a guy who isn't really a top-five quarterback. Now, you're going to be seeing guys like Derek Carr, for instance. He's getting his extension coming up. He's, it's going to blow, blow the Cousins deal out of the water. I think we're going to see a number of Derek Carr close to something like $70 million guaranteed money before the obvious probably around $25 million per year contract. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, far out. That is a lot of money. In terms of the Redskins, though, they've put the exclusive tag on him. Now... It's ridiculous, in my opinion, because Bruce Allen, who's the the main front office executive there, who's not Scott McLuhan, the general manager, Allen was on the radio earlier this week at the Combine, and he said that they gave Cousins the exclusive tag to eliminate any trade rumors surrounding Cousins and to bring stability to their organization. Now, if you, as a, as a front office executive, if you're letting the media and rumors influence your decisions as a, as a front office executive, there are major, major problems a lot, lot deeper than just the surface of the, the actual football side of things. They've got big issues in Washington. Oh, for sure. But to me, if you actually want to bring stability, how about you make your mind up and go, yep, this is our guy and sign him to a long-term deal. Exactly. And... Bruce Allen's not the only one in in the media for the wrong reasons at the moment. So Scott McLuhan, he he was excused from the team for personal reasons um, earlier in the week. And it's understandable. Reportedly, his grandmother died and he's supposed to be... uh, He's doing a memorial for her, so um, rest in peace. But it's all well and good, but she died a month ago. And now you're having a memorial? It, It... it just sounds a bit like the numbers don't exactly add up. And then there was a rumor going round on a on a Washington radio station. It was a local a local station, and they were saying that McLuhan had been kicked out, kicked out of the team, and he'd he'd been asked to leave and to go home and not come back until he had got his got his act together. And I hope that's not true because there have been issues for McLuhan in the past. He's had a few personal issues that he's had to deal with. So I really hope that for his sake, um, the the supposedly the rumors and all this innuendo can just leave um, because you don't want to see that hanging around your franchise. No, for sure. But I think for me, the biggest effect of this, as I alluded to before, is that, you know, it, it significantly weakens the free agent market for quarterbacks. So, you know, Kirk Cousins was, was the big name that was flying around. He's now gone. That might put some pressure on some of the other teams that may force you know a few hands to be played in the draft. We might see a trade up. We might see a reach for a quarterback. Um, 
it's interesting to see for me what happens now with the draft going forward. Do you think that anyone tries to trade for for Cousins, even though he's got the tag? Um, look, I'm sure there'd be a few phone calls. Uh, I I personally don't think anybody's going to make a real play at him um, when realistically you can just wait another year. Um, yeah, because he can't receive the tag two years in a row. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so, but you think about it there. The non-exclusive tag, so Cousins have got the exclusive tag, so had he just been given the standard tag, other teams could have tried to negotiate a contract with him, and had Washington chosen not to match that deal, Washington would have received that team's first round pick, not only this year, but they would have received their first round pick next year as well. So the compensation is two first round picks. Now, Washington, essentially, by putting the exclusive tag on, they're saying, nah, we we want more. We value Cousins more than two first round picks. So I don't don't know how they're going to be able to get a deal done if, in fact, um, a few teams do try to make a call on Cousins. No, I can't see it happening. Not at all. All right. Let's move on to the only other player that got the exclusive tag, Le'Veon Bell, the running back for the Steelers. I feel like, Nads, this one's really just a no-brainer, isn't it? He's arguably, some people say he is, some people say he's in the conversation, he's the best running back in the league. Um, And you want that guy on on your roster. I mean, he's only 25 years old, he's got heaps of legs going forward, and realistically, the running back class isn't particularly deep in terms of free agency. If you're a if you're a GM, let's say the GM of the Steelers, it makes a lot more sense to tag Le'Veon, keep him with your organization, and then draft a guy on day two, day three of the draft to sit behind him for a little bit. And uh, you know, if it doesn't work out in the future, you've got your guy backing up, backing him up anyway. Yeah, I'll be staggered if they don't come to an agreement long term to keep Bell in Pittsburgh. He's too good a player, and you don't let those types of players go. No. It's really that Pay simple it. for me. Bell's the best running back in the league. Yep, so pay him what he wants and keep him on your team. Exactly. Well, he's getting like $11 million on the tag this year, which is just ridiculous yep. um, for a running back in this day and age. But he's one of the few who can who can carry a team literally on his Single-handedly, back. Single-handedly, yeah. Yep. All right, let's move on. It The the next guy that got tagged, so now we're, we're out of the exclusive tag territory. We're just into your regular franchise tag so these guys can negotiate with other teams but if their team matches the offer they stay with their current team um so the first guy now is chandler jones edge rusher for the arizona cardinals um yeah so uh, i'll i'll just chime in there he was he was the only player apart from von miller and khalil mack to get double digit sacks for the past two years so that really speaks to his talent we're talking about a guy who's a premier pass rusher in the league and arizona just couldn't let someone like that go yeah no for sure look i'd be surprised again if we didn't see a long-term deal in place by the time the season comes around or at least you know sometime thereafter he's he's a very very good player and a very important part of that defense so Again, you want to keep guys like that on your roster in your organization, so I'd be surprised if they uh, didn't work out a deal. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll just add there that when players get tagged, they have until July 15 to get a long-term deal done. If they don't get a deal done by then, they have to play under the tag for the year or they just hold out and don't receive anything. Yep. So so there is a deadline. It's, it's good in a way that they've got the deadline there because it's going to mean that, okay, there's going to be a bit of finality, some stability going forward. Yep. Even if it's not exactly that long-term deal, they can at least plan for the future. Mm-hmm. 
But you think about it, Arizona have quite a few free agents on the defensive side of the ball this year. So in addition to Chandler Jones, they had Tony Jefferson. They also had DJ Swearinger. So they're they're two starting safeties. And they also had Calais Campbell who's been in Arizona his entire career. He's on the de- uh, the defensive line there. Yep. So you've got more or less four starters on your defense who are who are hitting free agency. And those four players are very, very good players. I wouldn't want to lose any of them. So they've picked their best one. They've chosen, chosen Chandler Jones. It's sort of expected. I mean, they did trade for him not long ago, so they've already put the investment in him. They want to get a return on that investment, so it only makes sense to put the tag on to of keep course. him. Of course, for sure. Let, let's move on. Let's let's go a little bit further back in the secondary. So let's go to Tremaine Johnson. He's the cornerback from the LA Rams. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I, I mean, it, it partly relates back to, to last year. So they had to choose between losing Johnson or Janoris Jenkins last year. Uh, and ultimately, they picked the tag for Johnson, so they kept him. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those those unfortunate decisions where, you know, Jenkins went on to have a really, really good year, and Johnson was kind of just okay. Um, it's interesting to see what Wade Phillips gets to do with him. Um, but, you know... It's kind of, to me, it seems like they've panicked a little bit. They, they made that decision last year, and now they're kind of obligated to stick with it, I guess. Um, having said that, look, I don't think Tremaine Johnson's a bad player in, in, by, any, you know, by any means. But it's, Is he worth $16 million, Exactly. which is what the tag and is costing? That's the question, and I don't think Definitely the answer not. is yes, no. Yeah, no way. Look, realistically, they, they picked the wrong player to keep last year. They should have tried to keep Jenkins. Instead, they kept Johnson. And Jenkins is now one of the top top corners in the league. He had an absolute stud year yep. with uh, the Giants. And he, he's earning his value. He's he's only on about, um, I think, about 11 or $12 million per year. He signed a five-year deal. He He's worth it. Johnson... Um, nice player, but he's not going to be good as um, someone like Chris Harris or Aqib Talib, nah. which is what Wade has worked nah. worked with um, in Denver. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Wade Phillips goes. He might be able to get the best uh, out of him. You never know. Oh, he will get the best out of him. It's just how good a player is he. That's true. That's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure he's he's um, that stud that the Rams think he is. No, well, we'll soon find out. All right, Nads, let's move on again now. Let's uh, let's look at Kawan Short. He's next on the list. So he's the defensive lineman for the Carolina Panthers. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is a he's a two-way interior lineman. So he's stout against the run, but his best assets as a, as a pass rusher. So he's one of the top, if not the best, interior pass rusher in the league. Um, he it didn't really match his production this year. So I think he only had one and a half sacks this year, but he was still all over the place. Last year, he got something like seven seven sacks for a defensive tackle inside, which is yeah, pretty bloody good. Mm. And Short was always going to get the tag. It was always known Carolina weren't going to get rid of him. They weren't going to come to an agreement, at least by now, by the deadline. So he was always going to get the tag. In terms of a long-term contract, you could see something along the lines of what Malik Jackson got in Jacksonville last year. So Jackson got a five-year deal worth roughly about $90 million. It's a lot of won't money. Be su- I won't be surprised, though, if um, Short, at the end of the day, gets a deal similar to that because they're, they're <coughs> relatively chalk and, um, 
similar in terms of their talent. Oh, for sure. And I think if you taking a recent example, if you look at the Super Bowl, the value of a, an interior lineman who can rush the passer, immense. I mean, look at Grady Jarrett in that game was just set up camp in the backfield basically and and while he was doing that Brady looked completely off his game so when you get that rush from the middle as well as guys like Beasley coming off the edge if we're still talking about the Falcons um, it just adds a whole nother dimension to how you play defense exactly I, I mean if you've got a nice edge rusher it's it's all well and good they're going to put pressure on the quarterback but the quarterback can just step up into the pocket then yep. so it's really complimentary football you need the edge rusher coming off the edge collapse like forcing the the play to break down and then you need the interior rusher to collapse the pocket when the quarterback tries to evade that edge rusher yep it also means if you've got a good interior rush and a a guy coming off the edge all of a sudden you don't need to be blitzing because you're getting enough pressure just with your four down lineman or your three down if you're playing a three four like then all of a sudden you can scheme up your your secondary and and drop ball by more guys back into coverage and it just gets exponentially harder for the quarterback to find the the open guy. Exactly, that's how Seattle and, and Atlanta that's their defensive philosophy. They only rush four, they don't blitz, and um, it's it's worked out well for them to a degree. Yeah. Let's let's move on. Jason Pierre Paul. It's quite a comeback story. What's your thoughts there? Oh. I still can't get over the fireworks incident, Nads. I just, I can't. Um, having said that, look, seven sacks last year. So pretty good effort considering he did lose a finger. Um, he's only 26 years old, which I don't think a lot of people realize. And to be honest with you, before we, we looked into this, I thought he was older than that. Um, but he's only 26, so he's still got plenty of gas in the tank, assuming he doesn't keep losing fingers because then he might be just playing with a club. Um, <laughs> but look, I'm... Ummy and Aring, I think, uh, I don't know. I think it's an, it's okay. I'm not going to say it's a great move. I'm not going to say it's a terrible move. I'm going to sit somewhere in the middle and sit on the fence. Yeah, I, I agree there. I, I think that he's not worth what the tag, the tag represents. I don't think he's a top five player at that position, but I certainly think at the very least you're looking at a solid starter who can stop the run and rush the passer. In, a, in an ideal system, he'd probably... Um, be getting a bit more, bit more sacks than what he, what he has. Yeah. Um, it's been a few years since he had that, like those elite double-digit sacks that we were seeing. But uh, I mean, he's still a good player, and if they can fit him in the cap for at least another year, try to get a long-term deal done. Well, good luck to them. Interestingly enough, though, um, John Mara, who's the owner of the Giants, he recently came out and said that they want Pierre Paul to remain long term now that's all well and good i mean you, you don't tag a player if you're you're only trying to keep them for one year but then jason cole of bleacher report he's come out and reported to the complete contrary so a few days ago he claimed that there's little expectation they'll get a long-term deal done so it's it's one of those watch this space kind of things with jpp mm, for sure i'd i'd be interested to see what happens with that um you sort of go if you're a, if you're a team that's not the Giants, are you interested in trading for JPP? It's interesting because he's he doesn't really have that prototypical size that you want. He's not a two two seventy two seventy guy. No. He's more of a, a two forty two fifty who's a real spe- like he's got great speed off the edge. Uh, you know he's not going to fit in everyone's scheme. 
from a positional point of view. No, he's, he strikes me kind of as the guy that if, if we did see a trade for, somebody would overpay what he's worth because that's the way, you know, edge rushes are treated there. Very highly valued commodities. So if we did see a trade, I could see it being a very, very expensive trade for whoever whoever buys into him. Yeah, I think someone like Seattle um, would be a perfect fit for him. He fits their scheme. He'd play the Leo position, so he'd be substituting in and out with Cliff Averill there, which which would just it would fit their fit their scheme to a T. And we've seen in the past that Seattle have made some big trades. I mean, they weren't afraid to spend a first round pick on um, Percy Harvin a few years ago, and Percy Harvin he was a bust in Seattle, but. He did show up at the Super Bowl, mm. so he did help him win then. So, True. if if Seattle think they're only another piece or two away, I, I certainly think that some someone like them. Not saying that they will trade for him, but a team certainly like Seattle could be in the mix if if the Giants decide to trade JPP. Definitely, and I, as you said, it'll be a bit of a watch this space, wait and see what happens. I guess. Definitely. Let's move on to our last our last player that's received the tag. Melvin Ingram, he's the edge rusher for the LA Chargers. You must be pretty devo because I know oh. you've been talking talking him up quite a bit the last few weeks to me as someone who you'd like to see wearing the horseshoe. Oh, mate, I'm heartbroken. Um, yeah, look, <laughs> I the Colts' needs of a pass rusher are very highly documented. So when you see a guy like Ingram who's slowly moving towards the free agency market, you sort of start to get a little bit excited. But in all honesty, I'm... I'm surprised it took them as long as it did to, to like either lock him down or, or tag him. Um, he's a very, very good pass rusher. I mean, what more can you say? It kind of, you know, there was a while there where I was surprised that, you know, people seemed to think that Ingram was going to get to the free agents, like the free agency market. And I was sort of like, surely not. Surely they're going to tag him. And then, you know, as, as time went on, more and more analysts are coming out going, no, he's he's going to make it to the market. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting more excited because it's looking more and more likely that you know, he's going to get there and the Colts have a huge cap space. So, oh, here we go. But no. Giving you a bit of false hope. Exactly right. No, he, <laughs> he has been tagged. Um, so he'll be staying with the Chargers. I think that's a really important move for the Chargers considering how little talent they have on that roster. So when you have guys like Ingram, you don't really want them going anywhere if you can help it. Um so look, I think it's a, a very good decision to keep him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So you've got all this analytical talk about Ingram not fitting Gus Bradley's scheme. And I actually think that it's the complete opposite. I reckon he fits Bradley's scheme to a T. So Bradley uses the, the same Seattle-style defense. So it's a front four, and that's it. They're the only guys that blitz. And he fits that Leo position perfectly. It's what Cliff Averill has played in Seattle. It's also what Von Miller plays in Denver. So that kind of style, Melvin Ingram fits it perfectly. Now, Ingram is listed on his NFL bio as a linebacker. So it all sounds well and good. Okay, so some people might be thinking, okay, he's a linebacker. He's not going to be rushing the passer much. Wrong. Last season, Ingram was only in coverage 17.7% of passing snaps. So the, the remaining 82.3%, he was rushing the passer. The guy's a pure edge rusher, and he's coming after the quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, if you've got a guy on your roster with his talent, why would you put him in coverage when his specialty is rushing the passer? I think the interesting thing for me in terms of scheme and how he fits in, obviously the Chargers ran a 3-4 last year, so it was interesting, you know, a lot of speculation about how will Ingram go when he has to get up on the line and put his hand in the dirt. 
Um, that that was the big question mark. I think he'll probably be okay, but you know we haven't seen it yet, so it's it's kind of hard to comment on. Well, that that's sort of my point. Even though that you've got like your sub packages are what about 75 percent of the game, so they were going to a nickel or a dime defense the majority time of the of the game, which means that Ingram's going to be rushing from a front four anyway. So. I don't really see it as an issue. He's going to be able to play it, and if not, he can just stand up and be in a two-point stance, which is what you see Von Miller yeah, do. exactly. So it's going to fit. This idea of 3-4 or 4-3 when it comes to pass rushes, if they can get after the quarterback, they're going to be able to fit any scheme. And if your defensive coordinator can't fit them into your scheme, you need to get another defensive coordinator. <laughs> For sure. No, totally agree. All right, well, that wraps up our discussions of the free agency tags. Uh, let's move on now. Let's get into Ask Nads. We haven't had it for a couple of weeks, so we've got a few questions lined up, Nads. So let's see what we got. All right, Nads, it's been a couple of episodes since we opened up the mailbag and fired a few questions at you, but we've got some good ones in store today, so we're going to bring the segment back. We've got Ask Nads now. Are you excited? You ready to go? Oh, of course, mate. Bring it on. All right, well, let's get started. Our first question comes from Tyson from Adelaide, and Tyson wants to know, Nads, what are your thoughts on Philadelphia showing part of their combine interview with Carson Wentz from last year? Okay, so what happened, it's on Philadelphia's, their website, and it's a five-minute clip of Wentz speaking to the Philadelphia scouting department, and they're breaking down film, and they're just asking him, okay, what are your thoughts here, what are your thoughts there, why did you go here? Um, For instance, there was one time where they said, okay, if, if this defender came down and blitzed in a certain gap, would there be a hot read? How would the protection change? Would they change a route? So it was a little bit of like just general jargon that they were trying to get through. The first thought that I came across was that it was just really intimidating. So you've got about eight to ten personal personnel members, and they're all their eyes are just like staring right at him, and they're probably uh, two to three meters away. So you're really quite intimidating based on the video itself. I thought it was interesting though. Philly at times they were sort of like leading him to the right answer. So when he had answered the majority of a question. It was a bit like a maths problem. If you had answered 80% of the question right, the last 20% they sort of give you if you've, you've got the working out right and the other parts, but the answer's not quite right. So it was sort of interesting in that respect that he was being led to the right answer when he had gotten the majority of it right. So they certainly liked him. They certainly saw the potential in him from that point of view. It was great, though, from my opinion, to see a team be so candid during a process that is... It's done like so much in secret, and it's kept veiled from public eyes. So to see something like this, it's just I, I'm I like it. Well, good to hear. Let's uh, thank you very much for your question, Tyus. I think Nads has done a very good job of answering it there, getting his thoughts on it. Let's move on. Our next question comes from Matt from Sydney, and uh, so Matt's Matt's question is actually it's about uh, John Lynch, the San Francisco 49ers general manager. Um, he's come out and he's been speaking very candidly about the need for the 49ers to uh at the quarterback position so we've got a clip of john lynch talking we're just going to play that clip now and then we'll get to the question if you were in that alone he blew it he blew the doors off it he was he's an impressive young man his film's very impressive i think the same can be said for deshaun watson you watch what he what he's done just putting a team on his shoulders and and taking down 
um, you know, a, a great champion. And so uh, Trubisky, uh, Mahomes, I, I think it's a very talented uh, uh, draft class at that position, one we're very excited about those guys. And, and look, there's, uh, you know, you talk about, I don't, I don't think you need to be too transparent to realize that's a position we're looking at. We don't have any. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, that's a position that's uh, a big focal point of our preparation right now. And uh, this week's a big part of that. Okay, so the question adds, Matt wants to know, what are your thoughts about how candid John Lynch is being here? Okay, well, simply put, it's quite a frank approach. It's so much more refreshing than the shadow leaks that we saw had become a staple of the 49ers ever since the later years of Jim Harbaugh's tenure as head coach. So it was great from that perspective. Now, it was it was a very media-based answer. So John Lynch is someone who's been in the media previously. He's just come out of the media. He's spent a number of years commentating football games with Fox. So it it came across as this guy's had a lot of media expertise and it, that came through in his answer. Now, at the same time, it sort of would have looked quite silly if he didn't say quarterback was an issue for their team because they don't have one at the moment. Kaepernick's just opted out of his contract. Not that um, that's a big deal. They were going to release him anyway. Blaine Gabbert's off contract. He's gone. They've got no quarterbacks there. They need a quarterback. They're probably going to take one at number two. I think that's that's yep. the general consensus of things. If they if they don't trade for maybe do a Kirk Cousins trade, try to break the bank there, maybe they trade for someone like Matt Schaub. I oh, know Schaub's a free agent. They could go after Schaub like that. Um, but they need a quarterback. So it's it is candid speak, but it's nothing that's earth shattering by any means. No, for sure. But you're you're definitely right. It's it's very refreshing to see that. I guess. Um that openness and that honesty that, that often uh, we don't really see in professional sports, particularly in the NFL. So thank you, Matt, for your question. Our final question, it comes from Twitter user at DodgerNation31. He comes from Pennsylvania in the United States. And he's got a question that's very, very close to home for you, Nads. He wants to know, is it Super Bowl or bust next year for the Oakland Raiders? And what do they need to do in order to get there? Okay, I just want to thank Dodger Nation for his question. It's, it's great to see people listening to us all over the globe. So it, I'm going to cover it in a few spots. So on defense, they need an interior pass rush, and then they need cover linebackers. It really is that simple. Um, they got, they've got pressure on the edge. They've got Khalil Mack. They've got Bruce Irvin. But they don't have anyone coming through the middle to collapse the pocket. They've got Mario Edwards Jr., he was injured most of last year. He was also had a severe neck injury the year before. So if you're trying to count on Mario Edwards next year, I don't think that you can rely on him to be there for 16 games. You have to assume that he's going to miss a few. So you really need to find someone in that position to help collapse the pocket. They've got Jahad Ward there. He was a second-round pick this year. He can definitely collapse the pocket, but he's he needs to develop. He, sees, he was a rookie this year, and he was inactive in their final game of the season. So he's definitely one that they need to just sit on, develop, see how he goes. In terms of cover linebackers, their two from this year were Perry, Perry Riley and Malcolm Smith. Both are unrestricted free agents this, this upcoming offseason. So it's, I don't really know what way they're leaning in terms of both. I think both are um, available at the right price to be kept by the Raiders. I think that, that says um, quite a bit in terms of um, if they want to keep them or not. That being said, I think if I could only keep one, I would keep Perry Riley. I think he had a far better year than Malcolm Smith. Um, in my opinion, Malcolm Smith is a backup. 
he shouldn't be starting. They need to find someone else to pair with Riley because I think Riley had quietly a good season. It was interesting enough, Riley didn't actually have an off-season with the team. So he came in in week five and he pretty much started from the get-go and he made quite an impact. On his first drive, he actually he um, forced a fumble on the first drive against San Diego. So I thought he had a good year. And with an off-season with the team, I think that's going to be, be quite helpful. In terms of offense, they need, they need a running back because Latavius Murray's going. So it's likely that Murray's going. Murray wants between six and eight million. The Raiders aren't going to offer that. They can, they're only offering about between three and four million. So there's there's a gap. You got to assume at this stage that Murray's going to find it because um, the running back position is pretty weak in free agency. So Murray's going to get an overinflated deal. So they're going to need to either find one in free agency or go to the draft. I would prefer to get a vet free agent because we've got um, Jalen Rashad and DeAndre Washington. They're both young guys. I don't like the idea of having two young guys and another rookie as the main guys in the running back room. I think you need a vet sort of to bounce ideas off someone who's been in the league. They have that experience. So that's, that's where I would go in terms of that position. Someone like maybe even D'Angelo Williams would be, be a nice fit. Just as someone who can, who's going to be your goal line back, um, short yardage, third and one, that sort of situation. I also like the idea of bringing in a slot receiver. So last episode, I mentioned Anquan Bolden. I think Anquan Bolden would be a great fit. Another great fit would also be Brandon Marshall, who recently got released by New York. Jets, yep. Yeah, so he got released. Those guys are looking for a ring. The Raiders have Derek Carr. They're in the window right now. They can potentially win it all in the next like. Look, they could have won it this year. They could have. They could have challenged the Patriots had Derek Carr not been injured. So, um, I definitely think that they're a team that players are going to look at as okay. I can win with this team now. Let's go get a ring. Someone like Bolden or Marshall would be great in that position, especially in the red zone. Additionally, you've got another, t- I think they're going to need another tight end and they're also going to need a right tackle. So for, for all the talk about how good the Raiders offensive line is, Donald Penn, Coletio Semele, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, they've, they've sort of been a bit of a, um, a rotating, rotating turnstile at the right tackle position. So this year they played quite a few guys there. They played Vidal Alexander, who was a seventh round rookie. Um, at one stage, they had to move Donald Penn over there because they had so many injuries. Um, that was week one against the Saints. Then they had Austin Howard in there for a little bit. Um, he kept he was injured. He played the majority of the season with an injured shoulder. So his career's been up and down in Oakland the last three three or four years. I haven't been too impressed with him. Um, in terms of, they've also had one other guy. They had, oh, what was his name? Menelik Watson. Menelik Watson was a second-round draft pick, and he's more or less been injured more than he's been playing. He, for whatever reason, the guy just can't remain healthy. So I, well, I would give him a one-year deal on the vet minimum, be be a prove-it kind of deal. Say, okay, see how you go. If you if you show up in camp and you remain healthy, okay, they probably have a player there because the talent the talent is there. You just can't stay on the field. So that that position definitely needs to be addressed because they need to keep Derek Carr upright. Now, as for the tight end position, uh, Michael Michael Rivera's gone. I can't see him being there next year. He's an unrestricted free agent. They've also got Lee Smith, who's coming off a serious ankle injury from the past season. So he only played three and a half games, and then he broke his ankle against Baltimore, was put on injured reserve out for the season. 
and then Clive Walford, he got he got injured on a on a quad bike last in the last off season. So he had a really interrupted off season. Didn't really participate in many of the drills. Didn't participate in much of training camp. So he he was really behind the eight ball from the start, and that showed in his season. So he had improved numbers on his rookie deal but certainly not the numbers that they anticipated from him coming into the year. I mean, I spoke to a few people who work for the team and they expected Walford to get between 5 and 600 yards passing about 45 50 catches and he didn't even get he got I think 30 33 catches or thereabouts for about 350 yards roughly. So he's underperforming. So it's definitely going to be a case of they need to upgrade that position. They can't assume that Walford's not going to have have another ridiculous accident. They've got Rivera, who's not going to be there next year, and they've got Lee Smith coming off a big injury. So a perfect fit would be Martellus Banner. So that's certainly one to look out for. From the draft, you could probably look at someone like O.J. Howard. He was a tight end at Alabama. He could really stretch the field. Now, I've, I've said all of this, and I've said that Okay, it sounds like there's a lot of positions that need to be filled, and that's the truth. But the reality is when you can count maybe four or five positions that need to be filled on a team out of 53 roster spots, you're doing okay. You look at this roster compared to what it was three or four years ago, and you could have said, uh, I would say maybe between 45 and 50 out of the 53 really needed to be off the team. So they're making headway. They're not far away. Now, it's I wouldn't call it Super Bowl or bust next year, but definitely they're in the window. And definitely while Derek Carr and Khalil Mack are Raiders, I think that they definitely need to be aiming for the Super Bowl every year. On my last point, really when it comes down to this offseason, Mack and Carr, if they get extended, no matter what else ha- happens for the Raiders, the Raiders will consider this offseason a win. And with very good reason too. Well, that's a very emphatic roundup there, Nads. Thank you for the question, Nation 31 Thank you for all the questions that are coming in. And we'll have hashtag AskNads back again next episode. So make sure you've got your questions coming in. All right, Nad, so we looked at offensive free agents in our last episode. Now let's take a look at some of the defensive free agents that are on the market. So what we're going to do, we're going to start at the front and work our way back. So we're going to start with interior linemen. Now, for all our listeners out there, when we say interior linemen, we mean everyone who's on the line in a 3-4 base defense, all of the three down linemen. And in a 4-3 base scheme, we're talking about the two nose tackles inside. So that's how we're classifying these guys. So out of that group, Nads, who's your number one? Okay, so my number one defensive free agent is Calais Campbell. So he was an eight-year starter in Arizona. And he's a guy who can pretty much fit any scheme. He can rush the passer. He can stop the run. He can do it all. And the best part about it is that you can fit him as a 34 defensive end, so as a 5-tech, or you can plug him in as a defensive tackle in a 4-3 at the 3-tech in sub-packages. So the only really question mark that I have on him is his age. So he's 30 years old. I'm pretty sure he might even be turning 31 in September. But in terms of like age, it's not really a big deal in my opinion because he's extremely durable. He's had nine seasons in the league, and he's only missed a total of six games. That is very, very good durability. You're not going to get that from too many players going around. Um, But I think you're right, though. The age is a little bit of a concern. I mean, you're probably not going to want to give him a huge contract in terms of length, only maybe two years, three years. 
you're going to feel comfortable with that as a team. I'm sure he's going to want more security than that. So it's going to be probably a little bit difficult to find that right sort of connection between player and team. Um, but he's been a monster for Arizona the last couple of years. Yeah, I think he's going to get an absolutely massive deal in terms of per year. I think he could be looking at something at maybe a three or four year deal, but um, in terms of the contract, you'll probably see like the guaranteed money drop completely off after year two, and then come year three, it's pretty much a prove it, prove it yeah. year. Yeah, and I think that's probably fair enough. And I, I often wonder with these sort of like guys this sort of age, they would know that going in, like as much as you want the security of, of an extended contract, they're going to understand that they're getting on and this is a business and that you've got to keep proving yourself as you get older and older. Exactly, and players fall off a cliff really quick in the league. So you really need to take the longest deal you can with the most guaranteed money and just and hope you can live it out. But going by the law of averages, you probably, if you're giving Campbell a four-year deal, he's not going to see out that contract. No. Nah. No, no, no chance. All right, moving on. Go to Brandon Williams. Talk to me a bit about the big nose guard in Baltimore. Yeah, so probably the best run stuffer in free agency, I'd say. If you've got problems stopping the run, this is the guy you want to go after. You just want to stick him in the middle of your line and fill up those holes and let your linebackers make plays around him. Um, I think he's... It's, it's almost certain that he's going to leave Baltimore. I really can't see him staying there. Um, but it's an interesting one, Nads, because he's not really going to be on the field for passing down. So how do you evaluate a guy that you're really going to have on the, on the ground, uh, sorry, on the field for you know two downs at a time? It's really hard to project because these sort of players have quite a big name coming into free agency. But in terms of their... their Um, amount of snaps that they're on the field they're probably only on the field no more than 40 snaps a game you know so you can be playing paying mega bucks for someone who's going to be more or less off the field maybe 40 to potentially even 50 percent of the time depending on the type of scheme that the offense runs and the way it's going in that sense so i think it's it's definitely one that you have to watch with trepidation my personal philosophy is that you would probably, in terms of nose guards, I'd rather draft one because they're going to be a lot cheaper and you're going to get more value for production in terms of that. Whereas I like to, if I'm going to pay like my free agents, I want my free agents to be on the field more or less every down. Yeah, fair enough. It's just one of those things that when you sign a free agent, they're always going to be expensive. You're always going to have to overpay. So as you say, if it's a guy who's not on the field for 50% of the time, kind of not really getting value for money really, are you? No, definitely not. And I think one one thing to throw a little bit of caution at the wind with Williams is that this year could be regarded as maybe one year that he sort of dipped in comparison to the past two years of his play. So it's probably not the best thing that he, he didn't have his best season coming into a contract year. No, it definitely doesn't help. They're the ones that you often see the players. If you're a fantasy player, you're always excited about the guys who are in contract years because you know they're going to try and push themselves that little bit harder to try and get that little bit of extra money. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate for him that he didn't quite perform you know, to the same standards that he has. Look, it wasn't a horrible year, um, but not, not quite to the same standards that he has in the past. All right, Nads, let's move on. Let's take a look at Dontari Poe. So he's a guy who I've had a, a, a long, hard think about this offseason. Obviously, with Ballard coming over, 
There's been a lot of talk about the Colts potentially stealing some Kansas City players. Um, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. I'm not completely sold on him, to be honest. I mean, look, when he when he first got drafted, he was a monster. But last year, not a great year. He's had a few injuries, but uh, most of them do with his back. And back injuries are not something that you know are easy to come back from. Yeah, look, it's certainly not the, uh, the most ideal situation for him coming in with a few injury clouds hanging over him. That being said, the guy was a first-round pick, so he's going to have the name that's going to inflate his deal. Um, in terms of his talent, he's probably well, he's probably a little bit past it. You know, this year really wasn't good enough. Um, if you compare his play to other defensive linemen on the on the Chiefs, he was not their best lineman by any means. Chris Jones, who, who was the rookie, I think he was out of Mississippi State, he was their best defensive lineman by a long way, and it wasn't even close. So Post getting outplayed by by a second round rookie this year, and as good as the Kansas City defense is. Um, it's probably in spite of Poe this year as opposed to past years. When look, the, the last three years, so 13, 14, 15, he was really good. And if, if you're going to get that kind oh, of production elite. out of him, if you're going to get that kind of production out of him, I've got no problem paying him big bucks because he's one of the elite defensive linemen uh, interior-wise in the league. But I'm not, I'm not convinced that you can, you can do that at this point in time. No, and I'm a little bit torn because... He is only 26, so he's not an old dude. He's still got plenty of years left, but the back problems really concern me. I just, you never really know how a player is going to come back from a back issue. Um, and so it's really hard to project, you know, what you're going to get out of him. So you look at 2016, as somebody myself who's had back problems in the past, you, you can sometimes doubt your body even though you are back to 100%, and it, it takes a long time to get that confidence back in your body. So, look, I wouldn't be surprised wherever he ends up this season if his, if his numbers in 2017 are better than his 2016. That wouldn't surprise me. Does he get back to that form in the three years prior that you mentioned? Uh, and Because that's realistically what you're going to be paying him for. That I'm not so sure about. I don't think he can quite reach the heights that he was at. Having said that, I still think he can be serviceable. Yeah, he'll be serviceable somewhere, whether he's going to be a star. I don't know. Maybe he's probably going to be getting um, maybe B-grade B play on an A-level contract. So uh, that's free agency in a nutshell, really, hey? Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, hit me with some sleepers and ads. Who you got? All right, Dunk. So I've got two sleepers here. So number one's Chris Baker. So he, he's a 34 defensive end, so a five tech. And he's had nine and a half sacks for the Washington Redskins in the past two years. Now, last year alone, he had 42 total pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. And if you compare that to other defensive defensive ends in a 3-4, that's a, that's a fair, few, fair few pressures. So he's also got the unique ability to play... Like he's a five tech in base, so thirty four defensive end, but he can also stay on the field on obvious passing downs, and you don't always see that from guys who are strictly um, thirty four defensive ends. Sometimes they have to come off in pass passing downs, or sometimes they also can't kick inside and play the three tech position when they come into a four down lineman in sub packages. Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of an undervalued. Uh asset to have as that D lineman. We talked about it with, with Brandon Williams, the guy that's going to come off the field all the time. So for his ability to stay on the field, that's obviously going to add to his value. 
Um, do you think he gets paid on on that high level contract that we're talking about for you know Campbell, Williams, and Poe? No, definitely not. I think he's going to be one of those second or third wave of free agency. So, my best get, my best guess, sorry, is that probably in the next, well, free agency starts very soon tomorrow. You've got the uh, moratorium, the legal tampering period for the next um, forty eight hours, and then you've got free agency now. Free agency, the the first wave usually hits you in the first three to four days, and then you get the second and third waves after that. So I think you're going to see probably, uh, he's probably going to get signed within the next seven to ten days. Yeah, I would have thought so. I think that's about right. Uh, but don't don't quote me on that, because the defensive line class, I wouldn't exactly say that it's, it's that strong. So I could definitely see someone um, panicking a little bit and overpaying him. Oh, I totally agree. And it's interesting as well because if you take a look at the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, if you take a look at the draft class, the defensive line is not very deep in the draft class either. It's very, very deep for edge rushes, but not so much for your your defensive linemen. So there's really not a lot of options going around for teams who who need players at that position. Um, so they they're gonna have to reach, they're gonna have to overpay. All a game of supply and demand. That's the way it rolls. Exactly right. All right, the uh, the other sleeper we've got, Nads, Carl Klug. Yeah, Tell me a bit so, about him. Yeah, he's a interior pass rusher. He speci- specializes in a part-time role there. He's, his entire career has been with the Tennessee Titans. And he, he's a little bit of a, a 50-50 prospect. So he tore his Achilles last December. And the latest report from about a month ago was that he might not be, be ready for the start of training camp. So mm. you've got a few red flags with him, and that, that's why he's a sleeper. Because mm. based on production, look, he wasn't getting a, a mega amount of sacks, but he was still like serviceable. I mean, his career high in sacks as a defensive tackle is seven. So that, that's pretty, pretty solid numbers for an interior defensive pass rusher. So I think if a team is willing to be patient with him, um, he's going to be a nice fit in on a team where he can be a rotational guy, where he can come in um, in the sub-packages and just be an interior rusher. Yeah, definitely. I think you're spot on there with the... Uh, you're going to need to be patient. He's not a guy that you're going to be able to bring in and he's instantly going to make an impact on your team. Uh, as you said, Tor Achilles, if he misses the start of training count, which is a possibility, you know he's going to be behind the eight ball with his new team. If he was back at the Titans, you're probably not as worried, but... If he goes to a new team, then all of a sudden, you know, he's going to be a little bit behind the eight ball. He's constantly going to be trying to catch up. So definitely going to have to be patient. But I think you're right as well. I think, uh, you know, it's one of those, he could play a, a good role for somebody, a, a nice sort of role player. Yeah, definitely. My, my one red flag regarding his injury is we're seeing lately in the past, I don't know, three or four years especially, guys who get Achilles injuries, they can often come back quite early in the scheme it's no longer um on par with like your acl injuries which used to be 12 months then now more 9 to 12 depending on um how you go with your rehab but achilles injuries can be as short as anywhere between five and seven months now so the fact that they're saying that he's likely not going to be ready for the start of training camp well he did it in january december middle of december so you you progress another seven months that's the middle of july that's when training camp more or less kicks in. Um, so it suggests that there might have been a hiccup with his rehab. Maybe surgery didn't go as well as well mm. as it could have. It's it's something that I definitely would be needing to look at before I signed him to a deal. 
Correct. And it's going to affect the amount of money he's going to get paid as well, I would have thought. Oh, for sure. No, he's not going to get anything more than a one-year deal. He'll get a one-year prove-it deal and see how you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. He's still, he'll still be in the NFL. I guess he's going to be happy with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's let's move on to the edge rushes. So we're going to go a little bit outside now. So by edge rushes, we're referring to defensive ends in a 43 base defense. We're also referring to the outside linebackers that you might see in a 34 defense. So they, they often are on the edge. They're on the edge. They line up at the line of scrimmage and they pretty much more or less um, rush the quarterback 90% of the time anyway. So they're not cover linebackers, that's for sure. So, Dunk, who have we got as our top guy? So our top guy is Nick Perry. So former first-round pick for the Green Bay Packers. Um, <clears throat> he had a career-high 11 sacks in 2016. But in the past, Nads, his career-high was only four sacks, and that was back in 2013. Those of you who watched the Packers, you might have remembered he played most of the year with a club on his hand because he was playing with a broken hand. Um, so he had that big black club that he was running around with. But look, he's, for me, with, with no Melvin Ingram in the free agency class anymore, um, he's the, the, the pick of the bunch. Uh, he'll definitely get overpaid. It's a position that you just can't have enough guys that can get to the quarterback. You just It's such a pass-heavy league now. You really need to be able to get pressure on the quarterback, move him off the spot, um, and and guys like Perry make their careers doing just that. As I mentioned before, though, Nats, it's a very, very deep edge rush class in the draft this year. So I'm going to be interested to see just how heavily teams go after some of these guys, knowing how deep the class is. Yeah, look, as nice a player as Perry is, I don't, I don't think he's like an all-world and all-pro guy. Um, he's certainly got the name value. I mean, he was a, a very good player for University of Southern California, and then he was a first-round pick on a very notable team in Green Bay and had a career year this year. So, he, sure, he's going to get overpaid. I'm not sure that he's going to get like a ridiculous contract. Um, it's it's one that I'm going to be watching with a bit of intrigue because I'm not convinced that the actual the edge the edge rushes in free agency are all that good this year. No, they're really not. So I think teams that need an edge rusher are kind of lucky that the draft is so deep in that regard. Yeah, exactly. It was much stronger last year. That's for sure. Oh, definitely, definitely. All right, let's move on, Nads. Let's go to Lorenzo Alexander. All right, so Lorenzo Alexander, he's a journeyman. He's 33 years old, played on quite a few teams in the league. And previously until this season, he had been a career special teams guy. So he was the guy that you would sign on a one-year deal for more or less a very um, minimal contract. And he was he was your special team ace. He would be a gunner. Um, he'd be on all the kickoff coverages. He'd be doing all the dirty work. So he goes to Buffalo and under Rex Ryan's D, he starts every game. So he goes from being a, a guy that would lucky, be lucky to get on the field, and now he, he's a freaking starter. And he started every single game on D for Buffalo this year. And he had he a reco- heck of a year. Exactly. He recorded a ridiculous 12 and a half sacks. Now, that's more than what Jerry Hughes got. It's crazy. It is. It, it really, really is. Um, you sort of look at it and go... How has he not been able to do this before? How has somebody not seen him and gone, yeah, you know what? You might be all right. But I think having said that, it is hard to project his value. I mean, you look at the guys playing around him. That Buffalo defense 
You've know, got Zach Brown, who we're going to come to in a minute. You've got Marcel Darius, Jerry Hughes. There's a lot of talent there. So it's it's not exactly like, you know, he's top of the list that the offense is scheming to try and, <clears throat> excuse me, scheming to try and block or, you know, deal with in that respect. Yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those where you're going to need to have a lot of infrastructure in terms of playing um talent around him because he's not going to guy that, he's not going to be a guy that's going to win games for you on his own. Um I, I still I still can't see him replicating this kind of form no. going long term. No chance. Uh, yeah, so I I'd certainly be thinking he's probably more of that special teams ace and if you, if you get anything more out of it, well, that's great. I still think somebody will pay him though. Oh, it's free agency. Of course we're going to see it. <laughs> All right, let's move on, Nads. Let's talk about Jabal Sheard. All right, so he's an edge defender for the Patriots in New England, and he was a solid guy. He, he was He's pretty much a balanced guy, so he can, he's solid in run defense. He's also solid as a pass rusher. Doesn't do anything great, but does everything to a good standard. And, I mean, I guess that's a bit about the Bill Belichick philosophy. I mean, if... If you don't make mistakes, the other team has to beat you. Yep. So um, definitely in that sense, he's very fundamentally sound. And I, th- I think he's going to be ideally used in a system where he's a rotational guy because you, ca- you simply can't rely on him to get 10 sacks per year. He's no. not going to be that guy for you. No. And I think if you are relying on him to be that guy, you've got bigger problems. Um Look, as you say, he, he, he was a very serviceable guy for the Patriots. So, I mean, if you're a team that's already got a pretty solid defense, he'd be a nice piece to bring in, I think, to sort of bolster your, your linebacking core. I wouldn't be paying him huge money as an edge rusher, as you said. Um, I don't think he's the sort of guy that you want to be as your premier rusher, your, your Khalil Mack, your Von Miller type guy. You, you don't want him to be doing that job. No, definitely not. I, I think it really speaks to the to the lack thereof depth of this of this free agent edge rushing class when you consider that one of our top three guys is a journeyman special teams guy and the other is a part time role player who doesn't really do anything great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, right. and, and even Nick Perry, there's there's issues with him there. So uh, it's, it certainly makes um, the number one pick in the draft a lot more valuable given that Miles Garrett's pretty much a shoo-in. Yep, and we're going to come to that, just for everybody out there listening, we're going to come to that in uh, the next episode, I think. We'll probably start with our uh, draft previews and we'll look at running backs and uh, edge rushes to kick us off. So there's going to be lots of lots of coverage on this coming up. But for now, we're still talking about free agents. So Nad Sleepers at the, line, at the uh, edge rusher position. All right, so we've got John Simon. So he was uh, an edge edge rusher for the Houston Texans. And this was a guy who was having an absolute career year. So he played, I think, the first seven seven games for Houston. And he was, I think he got three and a half sacks. Or he was getting a sack every second game. And he was putting pressures on the quarterback every game. So then he got injured. I think he did a chest injury and just couldn't come back and um, didn't play another game for the year. So he's going to be a nice find for for a team that's sort of rebuilding. So dare I say, you know, the money ball type of free agent, <laughs> that second and third tier, um, he's going to be a definite sleeper. I reckon he's going to have a good year next year wherever he lands. Yeah, I must admit, before we uh, did a bit of research for this, I didn't actually know much about John Simon, to be honest. So 
from what I've seen and what, and what I've read, uh, I think you're spot on there. I think he would be a kind of that sort of money ball type guy. I think he's the sort of guy that if I was actually a GM, I'd be targeting someone like him over guys like uh, Perry, Lorenzo, Alexander, and then drafting a guy as well because you know, you're going to get a lot more value for money going after a guy like John Simon than you are paying big bucks for a guy like Nick Perry. No doubt. The value comes in those second and third waves of free agency, not the first wave. Um, elite free agents are, are very, very few, very far between. So um, if you can get a few of those, those second and third tier guys, you're going to have a much more balanced roster uh, and it all goes from there. Yep, spot on. I'm going to defer to you on this player, Eric Walden. Yeah. He, he played for the Colts. <clears throat> Run me through him. So... Eric Walden, we got him in, uh, oh, I want to say 2013, 2014, around there from the Green Bay Packers. And he is your typical Ryan Grigson signing. Um, so this year was a career year for Walden. He had 11 sacks this year for us. But before that, Nads never hit double digits. Previous high of six. Six was his career sack highest in any one season. So I think that tells you pretty much all you need to know about the guy. Um <clears throat> I'm as a Colts fan, I'm more than happy to ship him off. So that should pretty much tell you all you need to hear, considering how terrible the Colts' defense is. If I don't think he's good enough for us, <laughs> he's certainly not going to be good enough for anywhere else. Um, look, he he really doesn't offer you a lot in terms of run support, in terms of uh, you know anything other than rushing the passer. He's a pure pass rush guy. Um, he could be useful again in that same sort of. John Simon type role. I don't think he's the type of guy that you want to rely on to get you 10 sacks a year. Um, but situationally and in rotations, he can he can do a useful job for you, I think. Oh, you summed it up pretty good there. Uh, let's move on to linebackers, mate. All right, Nad, so I'm going to start off with Zach Brown. So for those of you who don't know Zach Brown, he's the inside linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. And he had a career year in 2017, Nad. So he had 149 combined tackles, 97 uh, solo, 52 assists, and four sacks to go with that as well. So had a really, really good year for the Bills. Before that, he was with Tennessee. His, his uh, career best was only 93. So... A really, really significant improvement under Rex Ryan's defense. Um, obviously, as a Colts fan, we've got a lot of problems at inside linebacker. Zach Brown was the guy that I had, you know, in mind as the sort of guy that we we could do with with having on our roster until Donta Hightower came on the market. So we'll come to that in a minute. Um, but look, Zach Brown's the sort of guy, you know, he backed himself. He had that one year deal to prove his worth, and it's going to pay off big time now. He's had a career season in Buffalo. Um, and look, he's fairly young as well. He's only 27, so there's still a lot of mileage left in the tank for him. Um, and I can see somebody paying him a, a fairly decent amount. Yeah, I think in terms of contract um, comparisons, you, you're probably going to see him get something similar to what Jarrell Freeman got um, with Chicago. I think it was uh, was a two years ago. Or was it one year? Yeah. It was when, two. when did when did he leave? Yeah, he left the Colts a few years ago. Oh, that that whole thing was just a shambles. You know, he came back to the Colts and was like, "This is what Chicago are paying me. You don't have to pay me as much, but just get something close." And Grigson told him, "No, nah, you can go." 
It's the Greeks in effect. Uh. <laughs> Pray for Duncan. Uh. <laughs> um, look, re- realistically, Browns, uh, he's certainly been around the football a lot more this year. So um, given that he's been there quite a bit, uh, nearly 150 tackles, that's just ridiculous. Yep. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter what scheme you're in. You're getting 150 tackles, you're doing... Yeah, you're doing okay, but that being said, he wasn't just good in run defense. He was also really solid as a as a cover linebacker guy. So you could you could throw him in in a few zones, and he, he was all right. Like I know, I know that you've got quite a few linebackers who do get like a hundred plus tackles out of just being on the field because they're on the field for every down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Zach Brown was a guy who really earned earned his way this year, and he, he's going to get a, get himself a nice deal. All right, Nads, that's enough about Zach Brown. Let's move on now. Let's talk about Donta Hightower. So he's the premier linebacker of the free agency market. I can't believe he's even there, to be honest with you. Yeah, look, he's he's your A-grade guy, and it doesn't make sense why he's he's a free agent. He shouldn't be a free agent. Now, it, it makes me wonder what Belichick is thinking. At the same time, it might just be a case of Hightower wanting to check his market value and then coming back to the, the Patriots, which you see you see it in a lot of free agents. They get a deal elsewhere, they go to their former team and they say, oh, look, are you going to match it? And then if the other if the former team matches it, well, more or less, they stay, they stay with their team. Now, it's hard to contextualize where Hightower sits in terms of... Um, other other linebackers because schematically he's he's not your prototypical cover linebacker. So this season he rushed the quarterback on thirty percent of passing plays. That's quite a lot for an interior linebacker. Now you mm. compare that to someone like Zach Brown, who we were just talking about. He rushed the quarterback on only ten percent of passing plays. So there's quite a bit of discrepancy going on there. Yeah, definitely. And I think the thing about Hightower for me that there are a few little bits I want to point out. And first and foremost is his leadership. Okay. When you, you, you want your interior linebacker, you want guys like Ray Lewis, guys like Patrick Willis, the leader, the heart and soul of that defense. Donta Hightower is a guy and one, one of the best at it in the league at the moment about getting the defense into the right shape, particularly the front seven, getting them into the right spots, getting them into the right package. Um, and just leading from the front, leading by example, I think you, you can't put a price on stuff like that. Having said that, there are a couple of red flags with him. He's been in the league for five years now. Only one of those years has he played all 16 games. And only two has he played 14 or more. So there's a little bit of a durability concern there. He's not featuring all the time. Um and I guess you look at his stats, and stats-wise, really not a standout guy, but I think that kind of marries up with the fact that you know, he's only playing 12, 13 games a year. So there is a little bit of a red flag there, but having said that, as we've said, he's an A-grade guy, he's a Rolls-Royce. He's really the top guy in the class. Yeah, I'm just going to add, finally, regarding what you've said about having the players lined up. Now, it really does sound very almost elementary in a way how, okay, every player should be in the right position um, at the time of the snap, everyone needs to be properly aligned. They need to know all their coverages. They need they need to be on point. It's pretty much knowing the playbook. But you get a bad middle linebacker or a bad interior linebacker trying to trying to run the defense, and it really does show. I mean, I remember going to Oak, um, to Oakland back uh, back about two thousand and nine. They had Kirk Morrison as the running uh, as the linebacker there. He he had the um, the job of running the defense and. 
there were times literally when I was watching that game where players at every level of the defense were literally they were looking at each other and they were pointing fingers and they had no idea where they had to be and they like, there were times when guys were just completely left uncovered um missed assignments blown coverages it it, it was shocking and it, you really get to have an appreciation of seeing that when you're at the game uh, because you, you don't necessarily see that when you're watching it on TV. It's because obviously you don't see the stuff no. um, before before the snap, before they're out of the huddle and whatnot. You're watching so the quarterback do that on the other side of the ball. Yeah, more or less. Um, but even, even before that, even when they're just they're waiting for the offense to come out the huddle, um, a lot of confusion. There was mm. so much confusion going on. And I think if you get a guy like Hightower who can be a steady influence and make sure that everyone's lined up in the right spot, well, at least from a schematic point of view, you can't say, oh, okay, so there was a coaching breakdown here. Yeah, exactly right. And it's a very, very, it's an intangible thing. You can't really measure it very well. So I think uh, it's one that adds a lot of value, but it's definitely not going to show up on the stat sheet. All right, let's let's take a look at some sleepers now, Nads. AJ Klein's the first one on the list. What can you tell me? Look, um, in terms of his pro football focus grade, he really didn't grade out well, but he's he's received quite a quite a few praises. Now he was the backup in Carolina, so he filled in for Luke Keekley last year. Um, he, I, I don't really rate him incredibly highly. I think that that in Carolina, though, they were asking him to do a few a few too many ridiculous things. I mean, I remember. I remember watching Carolina this year and um, occasionally he was getting lined up on a wide receiver in the slot and asked to go 40, 40 yards downfield covering the, the receiver. So schematically, he wasn't putting in the best position to um, succeed. No. As, a run, as a run defender, he's pretty strong. He's solid. I'm not going to um, say that he's going to be an elite guy, but he's probably going to be serviceable somewhere, get a two-year deal on very small money, see how you go. Mm. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much right. Um, it's always tough to, to come in and fill shoes like Luke Keekley. Like he's, he's the best linebacker in the business. So you've got big shoes to fill. You've got big expectations to, to live up to. And I think you're spot on. He wasn't always asked to do the right things um, or, or things that, that played to his skill set. Having said that, I still think he can come in. He can do a job for somebody. You're not going to have to break the bank to get him. Um, definitely worthwhile acquiring if you're in need of some depth at linebacker. Yeah, for sure. I, I like the other two guys on the list, though. So a few guys have been playing in the Bay Area this year. So let's start with Gerald Hodges, the 49ers linebacker. Yeah, so Gerald Hodges. Uh, look, he's a guy who's kind of underrated, I think, Nads. Not a lot of people really know a lot about him. Um, so last year, played for the 49ers. He was there in 2015 as well. But before that, he was with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, he's only 26, so he's still got plenty of miles to go, plenty of... Uh, plenty of uh, tread left on the tires um, but he's the kind of guy that he can do a little bit of everything which in this day and age is kind of what you want your your middle linebacker to be doing so in 2016 he had 83 tackles which is you know that's a decent number he's, he's making uh, good inroads there but he also managed three sacks so for a guy who's not the the standout edge rusher but he's also not the standout middle linebacker on that defense you know He's, he's got a lot of value there in doing a lot of different things. He's going to fit in with a lot of different schemes depending on how you want to use his skills. Yeah, well, I think Hodges is going to have a really good 2017. I, I really rate him as a player. I think that he's 
incessantly underrated uh, in San Francisco. He he's going to get a, a, a small deal somewhere, um, but I, I can see him having a better year than what Zach Brown does in 2017. I, I don't think that the gap between those two guys is that much, and in the right system, and if you put a bit of faith in Hodges, he's going to deliver. We'll take him at the Colts, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Nads, you're in the best position for this one. Perry Riley. Perry Riley Jr. So he's a guy who came off the street about four or five weeks into the into the season in Oakland. So they had a few guys at middle linebacker just get injured. A few guys weren't up to the task, and they took Riley off the street. And he started pretty much more or less right away. So he, he got signed midweek, and they, they threw him into the fire straight away. And right, right off the first game, I remember on the first drive, he um, he didn't force a fumble, but he fo- um, he sort of like got his hand in in where Antonio Gates had the ball, and the ball flipped down and it caused a turnover, and everyone was hunky dory. And um, Riley sort of had the knack of being in the right position at the right time for a lot of the season. He had a really, really solid year, and I'm sure the Raiders would like to see him back. I'm not sure whether he does um, stay long-term. I think that he's one of those where he'll see if Oakland matches the deal, but he's going to be a nice find again for a team looking for a linebacker. Oh, for sure. And he's the kind of guy that, you know, Oakland obviously got him off the street, but he's been around the league for a little while. He's been with Washington for, for five or six years. And in that time, he actually had a couple of really solid seasons. So like 2012, 2013, both of those years, 115 tackles in 2013 and 129 in 2012. So he's a guy who's, you know, he's been doing it for a while and performing at a, a reasonably high level. So, again, I think you're right. He's, he's a guy who, you know, he's going to be a really good pickup for, for whoever ends up getting him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let, let's move on. Let's go to the, to the secondary now. So we've got some cornerbacks to talk about. Um, Logan Ryan. Yeah, so Logan Ryan, look, Nads, he is the king of durability. So he's been in the league for four seasons now, all of them with the Patriots. Hasn't missed a single game, not a single one in four seasons, which is really, really impressive when you think about it. Um, But look, very, very good cover corner. Obviously plays opposite Malcolm Butler in that uh, Patriots secondary. Um, The last two years in particular, he's had double digits in pass defenses both years and a handful of picks to go along with them. Just a really, really solid all-round talent with that durability. He's going to get a big deal, man. Yeah, the big thing in free agency is you look at does the talent match up with what you're seeing on film, and then are they durable? So when you get get all three in synergy, you know you're going to get a big deal. Um, he's going to get more than $10 million a year. There's absolutely no doubt about that. He's going to get a really nice contract. Um, and I, I can't see him staying in New England, that's for sure. No, definitely not. I'll, I will add a little caveat, though. With all of these cornerbacks, I talked about how deep this draft class is at edge, uh, for edge rushes. It's even deeper for corners, man. It's, it's insanely deep at cornerback. Cornerback, running back, and defensive end, you can get a guy in the fifth round who's going to be an NFL-level starter. That's how deep it is. So it's going to be interesting how much a team's going to pay these guys as opposed to waiting and drafting a young guy. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that, mate. We definitely will. All right, let's move on. Let's get to AJ Bouye. 
AJ Boyer. So he's was he's pretty much regarded by the majority of analysts as the best corner on the market. And it's a little bit of a you, you have to throw caution to the wind with him because to start off the season he was Houston's number four corner. So he wasn't even their slot guy. He was then he was their dime corner. So at the start of the year he was irrelevant. He'd get on the field, handful of snaps, and then a few injuries get taken place, and then Boyer gets a chance and wow he played a hell of a season did he ever absolute just monster corner complete lockdown guy he had 16 pass defenses on the year which as you say going from a fourth string corner to the starter and not just the starter but an elite guy that's insane um now houston definitely want to keep the guy but i don't think they can afford him i just think he's outside you know the, the range that Houston are going to be able to pay him, particularly with the money that other teams are going to be throwing at him. I don't think there's any chance he stays in Houston. Yeah, completely agree. But um, it's really quite... You have to be apprehensive because giving a guy like Boye a huge deal, something in the vicinity of what um, Janoris Jenkins got last year, he's never started a full season and you're kind of banking on him to be like your elite number one corner when you consider that three out of the four years that he was in Houston, he was doing nothing. And then even to start this season, the the Houston um, coaching staff, they didn't think enough of him to actually start him. So he's he's had one chance. He's absolutely exploded. Now he's going to get one of the most ridiculous contracts you're going to see in free agency this year. It's just, it's one of those fairy tale stories, but... Uh, you have to be um, live with trepidation here, that's for sure. Yeah, it is. It is one of those. It's going to be a very high risk, high reward kind of deal with Boye. But look, if he backs up his form from uh, this season and and even gets close to doing it again, probably going to be worth the money, really. Oh, look! If he if he lives up to what he did this year, he'll be worth the money. But me personally, I couldn't go out and spend twelve anywhere between twelve and fourteen million a year on a guy like that's at least twelve to fourteen. It could be higher um, on a guy that's really only produced for the better part of a dozen games. Yeah, no, nah, definitely. All right, let's take a look at the sleepers, Nads. Brandon Boykin is the first name. What can you tell me? He is an absolute beast of a slot corner. So. I can't speak highly enough of him in terms of his ability. He is a really, really, really solid slot corner. And the the knock on him was that he missed last season through to injury. So he's a guy that's going to need to probably cash in on a one-year deal. So take something that's pr- probably below his, below his market value. He'll be in that third and fourth wave of free agency. And if he if he um, takes control and really has a solid year, he's going to get paid come 2018. Oh, definitely. And I think it's interesting to note, though, that before this injury uh, at the start of the 2016 season, hadn't missed a game in his career up to that point. With all of his time in uh, Philadelphia and then in Pittsburgh, hadn't missed a single game. Uh, gets to the, the second day, I think it was, of the Bears training camp and, and tears his pectoral muscle. So... You're, you're the, the medical expert of the two of us. How much do you think a pec injury is going to impact him in the future going forward? Is it one of those it's, ones it's that not, lingers? No, look, it shouldn't be an issue going forward. Um, most likely, I, I haven't actually looked at the injury. I know it was a pec, but I'm 99% of the time they're going to have surgery on it. Um, they reattach it. It usually comes off the bone. They just pin it. 
and um, I'd expect I'd expect them to have a full recovery there. The only issue is is he going to still have the power when he's trying to jam guys at the line of scrimmage? So that's really that's when you need your pecs to fire. So yeah. if if he can fire that and if he can uh, maintain his strength at the line of scrimmage and jam receivers, well, um, there's not going to be any issues there. No, no, exactly right. All right, the last guy on the sleepers list, Nads, Morris Claiborne. So he's an interesting prospect. He was a first-round pick, very highly touted coming out of LSU. Um, but he just hasn't been able to stay on the field, like, at all. You know, he, he's he's had five years of experience now in the NFL. He's only played, in those five years, he's reached double-digit games three times. He's only reached more than 11 once. So this is a guy that's barely spent any time on the field. He just hasn't had a good run with injuries, Nads. No, if he, if he could stay on the field, he's got the talent. There's no doubt about that. The guy was a first-round pick for a reason. I think he was number six overall. So not just a a, a, like a first-round pick. He was a high first-round pick. Yep. Um, he's going to be. He's going to get a deal probably maybe a little above what Brandon Boykin's going to get. So you're going to see another probably a one-year deal. If he get, if he gets offered a multi-deal elsewhere with guaranteed money in it over multiple seasons, he would be an absolute fool not to take it. Because more likely than not, he's going to get injured and he's going to be out for a number of games in 2017. Yeah, exactly right. If anybody's going to pay in the money, he should jump at it with both hands and not ask any questions. All right, so let's go to the last line of defense. Let's talk about the safeties. So we've got John Cyprian. So he was a four-year starter in Jacksonville. And by all accounts, he's sort of... His play elevated over the over the four-year period that he was there. So he he's a real elite run-supporting safety. One of the best in yep. the league. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But in terms of his coverage, look, at times he's lacking. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, if you look at the stats, in 2016, Nads, he had 127 tackles. 127. Uh, Crazy for a safety. It's insane, it's- but... As you say, you look at his pass coverage, four passes defended, zero interceptions. Exactly. So I think that pretty much sums up what you're going to get out of the guy. Um, I think in the right scheme and in the right system, he'll be a a very handy player. Um, Having said that, I don't know. How much do you think he's going to get paid? I have no idea on this one. Uh, I don't. I don't want to put a figure out there because I really have no idea. Because he also played on Jacksonville, <laughs> That's so true. It, it's a bit like um, you know Cleveland. No, 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 no respectable player from Cleveland, unless your name's Terrell Pryor. Pryor's going to get. He's going to get a nice deal elsewhere. But um, y- your career more or less goes to die in um, Cleveland or Jacksonville. So. He could get a deal, um, a nice deal somewhere. I think you're probably looking anywhere between five and six million. Yep. But uh, I'm throwing it out there as a real, okay, let, let's see how we go. Yep, fair enough. All right, well, let's move on then. Give me your thoughts on DJ Swearinger. Yeah, this guy, he he's a gun. So he, he's, he's the first of a few Cardinal safeties on this list. So we'll get to the other one a bit later. And... He had an absolute beast of a 2016 year. So he was doing it all. He was he was covering. He was uh, really good in run defense. He, he was really, an, like 
a great starting um, safety. Now, the the problem with him though is he's only had one great season. So his other seasons that he's had in the league has been mediocre to subpar. So you look at him and you think, okay, so he's had all the, all these bad seasons, and then he's having more or less an elite year this year. Um, is it a matter of being in a contract year and he's pulled his finger out, or is it something that they've adjusted the scheme to better fit his talents? I think it could be a little bit of both. I think it's also, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in the two years prior to this season, uh, a, a little bit of turmoil, I guess, in the sense that so at the end of the 2014 season, he played his first two years with Houston, then he moves to Tampa Bay. He's in Tampa Bay for seven games, and in the same season gets traded to the Cardinals. They play in the Cardinals for four games. So I think it's a combination of, you know, he's jumping around from system to system for a little bit, for a little while there. Now he had a full off season with the Cardinals. He's got used to the scheme. They've got used to him. And I think uh, when you couple that with his obviously being in a contract year, you get the end result that we're talking about now. Yeah, for sure. He's been in the right system, obviously, now, and it's paying off for him. Yep. All right, your other Cardinal safety mate, and I know for a fact he's your favorite, Tony Jefferson. I like this guy. Tony Jefferson, he is an elite safety, and he's my number one safety on the market for the record. So, oh, what? It's not Mike is... Adams? <laughs> Definitely not Mike Adams, mate. Speaking of, he did get uh, the Colts are done with him now. So. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, look, Jefferson, he can cover in both man and zone. There's no issue there. And he's probably one of, if not the top run defender um, that's a safety in the league. So a lot of, uh, for that, he's sort of been pigeonholed as a box safety. And it's sort of almost not doing Jefferson justice because he's really good enough in coverage to play to play as that single high guy on an occasion. So you can really disguise the coverages with him. Um, I would love him in Oakland. He, he, he would be... Uh, very excited if he <laughs> landed in Oakland. And um, if you look at what Jason Cole from Bleacher Report, he tweeted that his sources um, expect Jefferson to get a deal around the $7 million per year range. And in my opinion, I reckon that's ridiculous. I reckon if Jefferson's going to get $7 million per year, I reckon you're going to have close to 30-odd teams that are signed, um, jumping after him to get him. So... Mm. I think that we're going to see a market that's really strong for Jefferson, and I think he's going to get close to closer to 10 when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think you're right there. The thing that gets me for Jefferson, I didn't realize he's only 25. This dude has years left ahead of him. Years. And, and most likely, the best years of his career are coming up in the next three or four years. Yeah, exactly. He's going to be around the league for a long time to come, and whoever gets him are going to be a very, very lucky team. I think um, particularly as well, you know, I talked about the depth of cornerback in this year's draft. Safety is not quite as deep. There's, you know, there's the two guys at the top, Jamal Adams and Malik Hooker. But outside of that, it's it, it falls away really quickly. There's a couple guys you can sort of get in rounds two and three that are, are serviceable, but it's nowhere near as deep as the cornerback draft. So guys like Jefferson are going to get paid... Yeah, are you saying that Jabril Peppers um, is going to translate to a linebacker at the next level? No, what I'm saying is Jabril Peppers is going to play offense at the next level. Nah, um, (laughs) I I think he's either going to play as that offensive weapon type of guy. I don't know. I don't know if he can... 
He's, he is the definition of a tweener, isn't he? Um, I really thought he was going to be a safety at the next level. I thought he was going to be that Sewer Cravens type, like tweener between a linebacker and safety, much like they use like the Honey Badger or Dion Buchanan in uh, Arizona. Yeah, I don't know. To be honest with you, I, I couldn't tell you. He's got, you know, he doesn't have the complete skill set to play either safety or linebacker. There's no obvious pick. Um, but look, I'll, I'll leave that for another discussion because we could talk about this for a long time. Um, when we get to safeties in the... When we get to Jabril Peppers, let's go, in the uh, draft breakdown, I, I think that'll be a really interesting discussion we can have. Yeah, um, good idea. Um, I'll just go back to Jefferson. The guy's a character on Twitter. He's definitely worth following. So all everyone who listens to this needs to go out on their Twitter account and follow him. So it's at underscore Tony Jefferson. And you won't regret it. He does a lot of Q&As with, um, with the fans. Really responsive. Not afraid to have a laugh. Definitely worth going and checking out. Good stuff. All right. Let's take a look at the sleepers quickly. Bradley McDougald. Don't really have a lot to say about the sleepers. Um, he started the last two years in Tampa. So look, he, he's obviously got a bit of talent there. But he's only 26. So there's plenty of upside for him to develop. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's really hard to kind of grade these sleeper uh, sleeper safety guys. So the other one we've got on the list is Barry Church. He's been a starter for Dallas for the last six or seven seasons. He's been around the block for a while. Um, look, he had a couple of injury problems early on, but he seemed to shake them. Um, although he did only play 12 games this season, but he's been around the league for a while, quite experienced, had a really good season in 2016 despite the injury. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up somewhere as well, getting paid a decent amount of money. Yeah, no, you've summed it up really well then. Um, that concludes our free agency preview on the defensive side of the ball. And it's time for a little more heavy-handed action. It's time for a slam dunk. What do you reckon, mate? All right, Ned, so we've had a couple of layups the last couple of weeks. Haven't really gone that hard, but this time we're going all out. We've got a, a really uh, important topic to talk about today and one that's actually kind of personal to me as well and I'm very opinionated about, and the topic is concussions. So obviously we're seeing a shift in the NFL to a more and more concern about players suffering from concussions and the long-term impacts on their health and well-being well after they finish playing football. Now... In recent times, North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, uh, introduced a proposed bill into Parliament uh, whereby there was a provision in that bill that would have allowed the parents of student athletes in North Carolina to decide whether or not it would be safe for their children to return to the sport and play following a concussion or a catastrophic injury. Now, before I get into this at all, I'm going to point out that they've since seen the error of their their ways, and this has now been removed from the pro- proposed bill. But Nads, how stupid can you get? Like, why was that even a consideration for the people that came up with this bill? Concussions are not something that you mess around with. We're seeing in, in sports across the globe, in the NFL and the AFL, in sports generally... 
Concussions are becoming a bigger and bigger deal. We're getting more and more information about them. We're becoming more and more aware of the long-term impacts that they have on your health, your career, your family, everything. They're not something you mess around with, particularly when you're a student athlete. You know, if you're a pro and that's your life and you make a living out of playing the sport, then that's different. But when you're a kid, right? You're a kid. Your whole life is ahead of you. Why are you toying with their their long-term health and well-being? Nads, parents are not medical professionals. Who even thought that that would be a good decision to give the parent who has absolutely no idea about, you know, medical information of any type, the decision to decide whether or not their kid should return to the game. Like, okay, a responsible parent, if your kid gets knocked out or concussed or seriously injured, it shouldn't even be a thought process to put them back in the game. But the problem is that a lot of parents get too emotionally invested in their kids. And, you, you know, you, you see the classic case of the parents living vicariously through their children because they didn't achieve their goals and dreams in, in their personal sporting career or whatever it may be and so their kid has an opportunity and so they really push their kid too hard and too hard and you get to this stupid stupid decision of a parent trying to decide whether or not to put their kid back into a sports game after they've been concussed the whole thing is just i I just can't comprehend who thought that would be a good idea it's not something they should ever be messed around with and particularly with children it's ridiculous that this was even considered now it's even considered, I just, I can't comprehend it. It really, really annoyed me, but I'm glad that they've at least seen the error of their ways and decided to remove this from the bill because you know, you know there would be a story that would come out in the news where a kid got knocked out, everybody thought he should be pulled from the game, but the parent went, nah, he's all right, he can harden up, just have some concrete, he'll be fine. Put him back in and he's going to get knocked out again and he's either going to be seriously injured physically or they're going to see the long-term mental effects come in down the track. So I just I just can't believe that this was even thought of, but thank God and that that it was taken out. I just uh can't believe it. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It it is ridiculous, mate. Um you you look at it and you just think, oh, what what, what were they thinking? They have absolutely no explanation for it. It's a bit like the old adage, you know, that um, 30 years ago when if someone got knocked out the coach would go up to him and say how many fingers am I holding up you know and he, he'd have two fingers up the guy would say three and he'd be like oh yeah close enough back in you go yeah, exactly right it's just uh, in this day and age and particularly as I said particularly with kids it just that's the bit that gets me like professionals getting paid millions of dollars that's their livelihood that's their life I get it look they should be given you know the opportunity to decide well even not them. Now we know more about concussions. It's going to medical professionals. But I can understand in those circumstances the player being given the opportunity to, to decide to go back on the field. But when you're talking about children, student athletes, nah, 100% in the hands of medical professionals. And in fact, Nads, I would go so far as to say that if you get concussed, even if it's only minor, you're done for that game. You're sitting out the next game probably as well. You're not training at all that week. It's just not something you want to play around with. Yeah, look, the NFL's position on concussion, in my opinion, is one that really it should be taken around many leagues around the world. So the way that their protocol goes is if they have an independent doctor on site, so it it can't be influenced by um, the team doctor, it can't be influenced by the coaching staff trying to pressure the doctor, purely independent. They are analysing 
all sorts of behavior on the field and off the field, and then they evaluate a player. Now, let's say this player is he's receiving any types of symptoms. He's immediately removed from the game. He can't come back. So that, that's the policy in the NFL. And then they go through like quite a bit of a concussion protocol. So they have to do a lot of mini mental mental exams. Um, they have to be physically okay. Stuff like you see a lot of um, um, people with concussion, they complain about um, living in a fog, being sensitive to light. So all those symptoms have to be gone. Um, and it, it's quite an enduring task. So players are generally... When they get concussed, they're out for at least one week. Um, we've seen a lot of careers end, and I, I really think it's quite a case of you need to be careful with concussion because um, if you look at, for instance, what's happened in the league in the past, well, there was a massive lawsuit that just got settled not long ago regarding former players that had been concussed and um, not knowing the effects of the concussions, and they claimed the NFL covered it up, and then the NFL en- ended up... Um, settling with them now given the information that we have in today's day and age um, you you simply can't say oh yeah go out back on the field risk your life because 30 years down the track you're going to be open to a a lawsuit that's gonna it's not just going to cripple you for like the short term it could potentially have ramifications such that the whole business like goes under we're we're talking multi-billion dollars that are just going to be wiped off, wiped off the face of the, um, the books. Yeah, exactly. And it just, I, it's it's very close to home for me because I've previously had a concussion, and like it wasn't a serious one, but it's still really scary. If if you've got, you know, obviously I'm not a professional athlete, never will be, but you know, you sort of worry and go well, what am I going to be like in 20 years? What is the flow on effect from this? How, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to handle that down the track when, you know, I have a family, people who rely on me for an income, et cetera, et cetera. That's me as an adult making that decision for my own life, right? It just shouldn't be a decision that a parent has to make for a kid who's A, just been knocked out, so not in the right frame of mind, particularly at that moment anyway, but B, doesn't really have a full grasp on, on their future and what they're going to have to deal with as they get older. And so, you know, their long-term health isn't the biggest deal for them at the time. So I just, I can't understand how this was ever even thought up. Yeah, I think the scariest part about all of this is that if you do a bit, if you look at the research on concussion and they're slowly more and more becoming available um, as a, it sort of comes, it's coming to the forefront a bit in terms of especially uh, medical sports research. And what they've found is that symptoms can be not found until like, up to 48 hours after actually having the impact. So yep. it's it's really quite a slippery slope so that the player can actually have no symptoms and then two days later that they've come back and said, oh, well, actually, um, I can't really see out of my left eye right now. Um, it's sort of everything's a little blurry and... Um, these these lights they they need to be turned off now. It, it's it's really scary because you don't want you really don't want to see a player go out on the field get concussed not think that they're concussed stay on the field and then uh, something worse happens. Yep, and then they find out about it two days down the track and their career is over and possibly their life as well. You know, 
It's just not something that should be played around. But I don't want to dwell on it too much. I just needed to get it off my chest. I'm glad that they fixed the bill and that it's not a part of it anymore. And hopefully we start to get, you know, even at at grassroots level, right down the bottom with the kids, we're starting to become more aware of of concussion and the long-term risks to health. Yeah, uh, one one of the big things going regarding concussion and in terms of football is they're worried that it's going to take the the contact out of the game. And look, I mean, okay, it might take a little bit of contact, and um, a lot of a lot of former players are worried about oh, it's going to make the game a bit of like flag football. Now, I don't think I don't think we're ever going to see it reach that far, but I certainly think that over the next twenty to thirty years, we're going to see a lot of changes coming. And it's going to start right at the grassroots level, like you said. We're going to see um, massive changes in the way that the rules are. And we're going to see players... Player protection is going to be probably the number one thing um, in 20 and 20 to 30 years' time. Definitely. Well, that, that wraps up another episode of Any Given Monday. Um, Dunk, that was, it was a pretty, pretty big one. Yeah, we had a lot to get through, Nads. We had to get this done before free agency uh, drops tomorrow. So... Lot to get through, but uh, hopefully worthwhile for our listeners, giving them a bit of a rundown on what they might expect to see in the coming days. Yeah, exactly. And we've got a massive, uh, massive week ahead because free agency is crazy, and then you've got all the stuff regarding the NFL finance and stadium committees with everything that's going on there with the Raiders relocation to Vegas. So we'll have an update for you on that in the coming weeks. Uh, we've also got a preview of the draft coming up. So like Duncan said, we're going to be reviewing the running backs. We're going to be looking at um, the edge rushes in the next episode. So be sure to watch out for that. Not to mention, Nads, we've also had the NFL Combine that's just been going on the last couple of days. We haven't, we haven't even touched on that. So the next episode is going to be jam-packed, guys. Make sure you don't miss it. Exactly. I had, wow, hadn't even thought about that. The NFL really has no off-season. No, none crazy. whatsoever. Guys, follow us on Twitter. So we're at Any Given Mun Pod, and also like us on Facebook. So we're at Any Given Monday Pod. You can also catch me and Nads individually on Twitter. So Nads is at HB Nadoni N A D O L N Y, and you can catch me at D Song S O A N G. And remember that hashtag AskNad segment. Every episode we're going to have a new one for you, so fire those questions in. Definitely keep on with the hashtag AskNads. In the meantime, guys, keep fighting for those inches. Take care. See you later. He's got the 20, gets the ball. He's got-